Hi, I'm Jason. And I'm Scott. Welcome to Skip Down Shuffle, a podcast where we delve into an overlooked song by a popular artist. Today we're taking a look at the George Michael song, John and Elvis Are Dead, off of his 2004 album, Patience. Before we get deep into the episode, I just want to make sure that we emphasize that his his stage name is George Michael, not George Michaels. I can't tell you how many people I know say George Michaels when they say his name. That's not his name. His name is George <laughs> Michael. You wouldn't say Michael Jackson's. <laughs> you wouldn't say Freddie Mercury's. His name is George Michael. <laughs> I don't know if I have anything more to add. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big George Michael <laughs> fan. Um, I have been for a while. I think that'll probably be pretty clear in this episode how much I uh, enjoy all of his music. And it's cool because I feel like there aren't a lot of artists out there that had his range. And I feel like a lot of people don't really realize it when you listen to a lot of the stuff that's on the radio is a lot of the more upbeat tracks, uh, a lot of the, the catchier, hookier stuff. And he has like a lot of these really deep, reflective ballads and folky kind of things that he does sometimes, some some jazzy stuff. And I feel like that doesn't get nearly as much recognition or notice as uh, is, you know, just the like, oh, I can throw this on and feel real good or like hop out on the dance floor kind of stuff. I feel like that's... Yeah, I feel like if you don't really know much about him, you probably think that he just creates like these very simple pop songs. But yeah, but you're like, there's a lot of range stuff going on here. And we're going to get into like how difficult it was for him to maintain that artistic integrity in the face of being so successful right out of the gate. But it's it's it is interesting that when you when you when you mention George Michael to people, there's a lot of preconceptions that come with that, uh, both to do with the music and not to do with the music, to mm. do with just him personally. So we're going to get into that too. But before we get into all that, let's sort of give a primer on who George Michael is and where he comes from and 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 why you know he he his story of how he got so big so fast. So as Scott mentioned, George Michael is his stage name. He was born Yorhos Kyrikos Panayoto. I hope I'm getting that right. <laughs> a very Greek name. He was born in 1963. His father is Greek um, and, is, and owns a restaurant and his mother was a dancer. When he's a teenager, his family moves to a wealthy suburb of London. At a school there, he met Andrew Ridgely, who, if you know where this story is going, would be his future musical partner in the duo known as Wham. Michael first forays into music as a DJ. Then he starts a ska band called The Executive with Ridgely and some other classmates during these early years. In 1980, The Executive break up, 
and he forms Wham! with Ridgely. I'm not sure if we'll do a Wham! episode anytime soon, but we want to focus on George Michael this time around, so sorry to Andrew Ridgely, but we're going <laughs> to kind of gloss over this era a little bit. Basically, Wham! is huge. They release three studio albums, sell millions and millions of copies off of the popularity of hits like Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go. And careless whisper. In the band, Michael is singing, writing, playing different instruments, producing. Basically, he's got his hands on everything and is able to do it really well. Wham! basically breaks up because Michael is unhappy. He wants to do more mature music. Wham! is kind of this teen sort of band, and that's kind of how they were branded. So he wants to write music for basically a more adult audience. He claims the split was amicable. He basically says the lack of creativity he was allowed by the record company, along with pressure to write and put out singles. He blames financial mismanagement, basically everything you could think of for being an unhappy musician. As a newly minted solo artist in 1987, Michael records a duet with Aretha Franklin, I Knew You Were Waiting For Me. He would go on to win a Grammy with Franklin for Best R&B Performance for a duo or group with vocal. Then later that year, in 1987, came his debut record, Faith. There's probably very few people out there who don't know at least one song off of Faith, considering that 80% of the album is a single. Like every yeah, eight, 80, eight out of 11 tracks <laughs> on his record are singles. Yeah, and which huge is, singles. Yeah, huge. <laughs> so you've probably heard at least the title track, Faith. Well, I guess it would be nice if I could touch your body. I know not everybody has got a body like you, but I gotta think twice before I give my heart away. And I know all the games you play because I play them too. Oh, but I need some time off from that emotion. Time to pick my heart up off the floor. So through this record, Michael is able to reintroduce himself to the musical world apart from Wham! and as a more mature pop and R&B artist. The lyrics are more reflective, they're sexier, they're darker than anything that Wham! had ever put out. It might seem mild to today's listener, but in 1987, and compared to Wham!'s past, it was quite a statement at the time. 
I, I would say uh, it's probably similar to like Justin Timberlake's career. You know, he was with Insync, mm. this like very bubblegummy, very clean cut kind of of band, or I guess you technically can't really call him a band, but whatever group. And then he Boy releases, <laughs> then he releases a solo record that's very, you know, uh, a little bit more adult, but still kind of like, you know, still kind of bubblegummy, still kind of poppy. And then he comes out with Future Sex Love Sounds, and it's just like, whoa! Like he totally took a different direction here, and. Clearly, you know, set a statement of being like, I am no longer in your boy band pop group. I am stepping out into something different. So it's very similar to that. If you if you need something more modern to compare mm. what Faith was like in comparison to what Wham was doing when it first came around. Michael does a gigantic tour uh, around the world to support the album in the following year. In 1989, and I'll never understand how eligibility for award shows work, Faith wins Grammy, the Grammy for Album of the Year. So two years later, it's album, I don't know. <laughs> but at any rate, you know, it's, it's critically and commercially just out of this world. Suffice to say, there were really high expectations for a follow-up, which would come in the form of 1990s Listen Without Prejudice Volume 1. As the name suggests, there was a Volume 2 slated for release the following year. The idea was to have two albums with two different styles and moods, and again, reflect the maturity of Michael as a songwriter, able to compose in multiple genres. Volume 1 was the more serious record, with heavy subjects such as war and poverty and other social issues and injustices. Think of maybe something like Marvin Gaye's What's Going On. You can hear that well in the opener, Praying for Time. Many of the tracks on the album were acoustic and piano-based, some folk stuff, ballads, with one notable exception, the big single Freedom, often called Freedom 90, to differentiate it from a Wham! track with the same title. Volume 2 was supposed to be more dance-oriented with upbeat tracks that reflected Michael's more classic pop side and with feel-good tunes. Michael refused to appear in any photo shoots or videos to promote the record, feeling exhausted by the whole routine of it all. Famously, Freedom 90 showed the iconic jacket he wore in the Faith video bursting into flames, indicating another transformation from the artist he was before. Fun fact, that music video and a lot of others in the late 80s and early 90s, videos by Madonna, Paul Abdul, and Aerosmith were actually directed by David Fincher, who would go on to make films like Seven, Fight Club, and The Social Network. I was find it so interesting yeah you, to know that he had that like music video start yeah and then and then rob zombie directed like a, a, a commercial for wool light the, the like fabric thing that you do like just <laughs> little things like that you're just like what like, yeah, oh, so man. just just a, a before a they little, were famous yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what might surprise you is listening listen without prejudice volume one essentially disappoints despite being successful by any normal standards applied to most artists it still sells millions of copies but doesn't sell anywhere near as well as Faith did. People are taking note of Michael's abilities as a songwriter, but again, it failed to reach that stratosphere that Faith was in. The response to the album and its sales starts a feud between Michael and his record label Sony. He sues them for not promoting the record enough, and they blamed him for not wanting to participate in the usual promotional materials that artists do, like the music videos, photo shoots, interviews, all that kind of stuff. As a result of the lawsuit, Volume 2 doesn't come out, and one can't help to specul but speculate if the more upbeat record had been released first before the more serious one. 
You can hear a few of the tracks that would have come out on various releases over the years that would have been on that volume too. Um, so take a listen and you can kind of decide for yourself. I personally feel like Listen Without Prejudice Volume 1 is flawless and Michael obviously pushed hard to be taken seriously. Um, maybe reversing those two releases, you know, would have done better. But I understand that he had people's attention and this captive audience and he basically took advantage of that to be like, they're going to pay attention and they're going to listen to me and here's, you know, the best stuff I'm putting out. Michael does tour to support the album, and during one of the dates in South America in Rio, he meets his future partner, Anselmo Filippa. He talks a lot about how this relationship changed his outlook on life and his sexuality, with Michael being gay and struggling with this through his career at this point. During that time, he also played with the band Queen in tribute to Freddie Mercury, with the proceeds going to an AIDS charity started by the band. Tragically, Filippa dies of AIDS in 1993. Late in 1994, Michael appears on a British award show and plays a new song, Jesus to a Child, which he dedicates to Philippa. Now, you have to understand the timing on this. George Michael hasn't come out as gay and is basically in mourning over his lover and kind of can't share that with anyone. So music becomes sort of the only outlet uh, with that song. He loses the lawsuit he began with Sony five years ago, and he kind of starts his career anew with 1996's Older. The album is huge in his native UK, spawns six singles, but it's not as big of a smash in the United States. It's a jazz-inspired record and dedicated to a Brazilian composer, Antonio Carlos Jobim. Older is a dark record with a lot of songs seemingly reflecting on Felipe's death, like the track You Have Been Loved. She takes the back road and the lane Past the school that has not changed So when the boy was young, all the battles she had won just to... In 1998, he releases a greatest hits compilation called Ladies and Gentlemen, The Best of George Michael. That has a few new songs, including Outside, which pokes fun at Michael's own arrest for indecent exposure in a public restroom in the U.S., which prompted his coming out. For those of you who weren't around or are too young to know, that was a huge thing when when George Michael was arrested for indecent exposure, or, or no, it was it was public lewdness. Oh, I that's think what it was. Yeah, 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 yeah. public lewdness. It, it, it was you know this was like front page news. Like this was huge, huge news, and it was an earlier time. It wasn't now. It wasn't 2019. This was the you know mid 90s or late 90s, I guess, just to say, and being gay was not nearly as accepted as it is now, especially for major iconic artists such as George Michael. It was, you know, I, I feel like there's a subset of people that, you know, accepted like, you know, Freddie Mercury was, was gay and Elton John is gay. And we, we were cool with these gay people, but at the same time, the mass public was much less understanding of, of homosexuality and uh, the LGBTQ rights and all this other stuff. So when this came out, this was huge front page news, not because it was like, Oh, this guy did something wrong. It was because, Oh my God, this guy is gay. Like I had no idea he's in these videos, all these women surrounding him. He's, you know, been photographed with like girlfriends in the past and whatever. And here now he's gay. And not only is he gay, but he's, we're finding out that he's gay in this very embarrassing situation. So you have to remind you have to remember that George Michael has, has been holding back that he's gay for years and years and years, unable to talk about it, unable to do anything about it. And then he's technically forced to come out 
by being, you know, the laughing stock of a lot of, you know, of, 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 of most people. So, so that's gotta be just like horrifying. And, and so you can definitely sense when you start looking at his history and his musical output, you can definitely sense that this was a major turning point for him where things started to get a little bit different. And as we've talked about before in other Skipped on Shuffle episodes, I'm thinking of like Madonna trying to revamp her image. The following year, Michael comes out with Songs from the Last Century, an album of jazz covers, the Great American Songbook kind of stuff, with a few more modern popular songs like The Police's Roxanne. Roxanne You don't have to put on the red light Those days are over You don't have to Sell your body To the night Roxanne You don't have to Wear that He leaves the spotlight for a few years Then Michael releases two new singles For a forthcoming record in 2002 The songs Freak and Shoot the Dog The Dog is a protest song that attacks then-British Prime Minister Tony Blair and then-President George W. Bush for the Iraq War. The record is delayed a bit as Michael actually re-signs with Sony in 2003, and the new album Patience drops in 2004. We'll discuss this record a bit more, as this is the album that features John and Elvis are dead. This would be Michael's last studio album of original material. In an interview with the BBC promoting the record, he said that he didn't really care about the money anymore, he said he'd prefer people download his music for free and be encouraged to donate to a charity instead. He also talked about how he'd stop making albums and just release things, songs online as he did them. Michael would release another greatest hit set, 25, to mark his 25th anniversary in music and do a tour. I finally got to see him perform on that tour. His last record was 2014 Symphonica, a live release. In the prior years, he was performing songs in an orchestra arrangement that focused on material mostly from his later releases. Michael died in 2016 of natural causes on December 25th. So we're going to jump back about a decade or so and talk a little bit about patience and get to today's song, John and Elvis are dead. We hope you're enjoying this episode of Skipped on Shuffle. Right about now, in most podcasts, you'd be hearing an ad for something, uh, but we are trying to keep Skipped on Shuffle ad-free, and the way we're going to be able to do that is through Patreon. Please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash skippedonshuffle. Any donations go to support the costs associated with running this podcast. I'm thinking asking the doctor if he could put me back to sleep. Hey, all the girls look the same Don't they know Just what their mothers Patience comes out in 2004 And it's framed a lot as a comeback album 
just to recap for you, 1996's Older was the last time he released original an album of original material, so it's been eight years since that. And Songs from the Last Century, which came out in 1999, which was all covers, it's even five years removed from that. I feel in some ways like this album shows what Michael attempted to do with Listen Without Prejudice Volume 1 and Volume 2, try to put all those types of different types of songs together on one record, kind of the softer, slower ballad stuff along with the upbeat stuff. But I real, I, I feel like this record isn't his best and maybe he's onto something where it's tough to reconcile kind of those two sides on a, on a record. I, I don't know. I, I feel like there's rock artists that can do it for some reason where you have like, you know, your heavy stuff and then like softer acoustic stuff on a record. I just feel like there's something weird with a pop album that's, more all over the map. I don't know if that makes any sense. Yeah, I feel like he's been obsessed with this with this dichotomy for for his whole career. Yeah, you know, uh, with uh, even with the greatest hits collection, ladies and gentlemen. Like the reason it's called ladies and gentlemen is because ostensibly the first disc is for the ladies, which is you know all the slower ballady kind of stuff, and the second disc is for the gentlemen, which is all the upbeat. You yeah, know, they're poppy. even yeah they're even labeled for the heart for the feet. Yeah, so it's like, like it, it, he's so, like yeah. he's very obsessed with this idea that you know he has a certain type of song that he writes that's in, in you know falls into this very somber sad dark reflective whatever you know deeper emotions and then he has these like upbeat fun time things that he does so it's it's definitely interesting that he's so obsessed with this and then he finally gets to to do this this mixture where he's not splitting him in half he's not being like disc one is this disc two is this or you know uh uh listen without prejudice volume one is going to be this and listen you know volume two is going to be this it's like no we're just gonna throw them all in this record there's going to be what what is there there's 14 tracks on here and then we're just going to mix them all together and it's like oh okay well you know like I don't know. It's it's very interesting that he's so obsessed with this. When I feel like like you're mentioning like a lot of rock acts, you know, I feel like they'll and just it, naturally do it. They'll and be it like, worked, oh. it worked on Faith. Yeah, like, totally. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't so. know, but I feel like I feel like he he's he's so obsessed with this that it kind of. I don't know. It kind of feels forced almost in a certain way. Like, I feel like, you know, when you have like a rock act, like, like Nirvana, for example, like, you know, primarily known for big, loud rock songs. If Kurt writes a song and he feels like this is a good song, but it's got to stay acoustic, then it stays acoustic. Mm. Whereas I feel like George Michael's like, no, like I have to do this and this and this. Yeah. And like yeah. compartmentalize yeah, it in some it's way. A yeah. little, it's a little, it's a little weird, but, uh, but at the same time, like, you know, I, be the first to admit that like, you know, I love a lot of his dance stuff and I love a lot of his darker, somber, slower, whatever stuff. So like, I'm glad that he does both of these Mm. different types of styles, but yeah, I feel like when you listen to patience, you kind of are like, you know, it's kind of jarring sometimes. You're like, Oh, I'm in this zone now. Oh, nope, nope, nope. Now you gotta go. You know, it's a little, a little different. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think the critics kind of, caught that too they weren't really blown away by this record as much i mean the album does pretty well especially you know in his native uk and you get the whole resurgence of you know the comeback record where it's just like there's a lot of fans out there that haven't heard anything a long time and it certainly satisfies like the fan base but i don't think drew any kind of like new listeners in um so the album it's pretty glossy and polished and well crafted everything you know you'd expect from uh, a modern pop record uh, the lyrics are pretty introspective, and we're kind of going to get into that a bit now by looking at John and Elvis Are Dead, which I feel like really stands out uh, on this record. But the words that make me cry, the thing he softly said, it stayed with me. 
dancing with my hair He said if Jesus Christ is alive and well Then how come John and Elvis don't dead? John and Elvis Are Dead was the last single from Patience. It was actually released as a digital single, so you can only download it, which it's hard to describe now because everything is just a downloadable single now. Right, yeah, most people would be like, so what? But this is 2004. Like, this is, you know, 15 years ago. So yeah. this, <laughs> the, things were a little bit different. The idea of releasing a downloadable-only single was still very, very new and probably kind of contentious maybe too because there are probably a lot of people out there that still don't have personal computers or if they do they don't have an internet connection so they can't get the out like where do i go to yeah how do i why can't i just go to the store and buy it so this that was probably a contentious move but whatever michael wrote the song with david austin who's one of his best friends they had previously written the songs look at your hands from faith and you have been loved from older together the song is basically the story of a close friend who as a child slips into a coma in 1975 they wake up in the present day and realize all these iconic figures from their childhood are dead and basically wonder if it's worth staying alive. The song is told as a conversation between these two friends and the other friend who hasn't been in the coma leaves and is kind of pondering this idea of, you know, where, what, what is, what is life worth kind of? It's, it's hard to say. That's kind of a simplified take on it. And I feel that one that on the surface if you were just listening to the song kind of glorifies people like the the John and Elvis are obviously John Lennon and Elvis Presley might just kind of glorify the impact they had but i think it goes a little bit deeper than that and is also michael kind of talking about these figures that had a major influence on his music and also his career yeah there's there's a lot going on in the lyrics to this song i mean we're not going to list them all out for you we're not just going to read them all we're going to we're going to we're going to call out a few like notable stanzas but at the same time if you have a moment like just go online and read the lyrics from beginning to end and you get an idea that there's a lot going on not only is he reflecting on you know john lennon and elvis presley like like you mentioned he's also reflecting on his own career he's also reflecting on uh pop stardom in general he's reflecting on his 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 contemporaries in the music industry like there's a lot of stuff in this song like it seems like he crammed like seven ideas into <laughs> one song which you know is sounds like it would be a disaster but it actually works out really really well because because he's 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 not comparing himself to John Lennon or, or Elvis Presley or even Marvin Gaye he mentions Marvin at some point uh it, towards the end of the song as well he's not really comparing himself to those people he's not being like you know oh I'm just as big as these people or or I'm going through the same stuff that they go through he's more like reflecting on the idea that there are these artists that you know had such integrity and such uh I don't know like like they they were so important and so uh, uh genuine and he's kind of bringing in the idea that, you know, maybe that's, that's getting lost nowadays, you know, and this is, this is the, you know, early two thousands. Like if, if he were alive today, he'd probably be pretty upset looking around now or, you know, it's like, you know, I feel like, I feel like nowadays, if you want to be a pop star, the first thing you have to do is sell out. Like that's what you, you need to do. You mm. need to be like, how, what's my personal brand? Yeah, yeah. What's, what am I doing? Whereas, you know, if you were to tell that to George Michael, he would blow up at you. He'd be like, that's, that's stupid. Like the music is what's most important, what you have to say, how you're contributing to the world. Like those are all the things that, that, that this guy really, really felt was important. And this song 
is a lot of things, but I feel like the thing that I came away the most with when, when listening to it and listen, you know, reading the lyrics and going deeper into it was like, wow, this guy is like really, really integrity is really important to him. And he's making sure that we know that through this tune. Yeah. By bringing up John Lennon and Elvis Presley and stuff, those are like pop culture reference points for, yeah, this integrity that he feels like is kind of slipping away. And if you were, you know, in a coma and woke up and, looked around or even if you weren't and noticed like, Oh, a lot of things are changing and I don't think for the better. And especially knowing what George Michael had gone through with in his musical career, um, trying to maintain his status as a serious songwriter and how he struggled with that, you know, looking around and realizing like, am I fighting this battle alone now? Or are there other people here who even, care as much as I do about these things. So by so by mentioning these other artists, I, I, I agree with you. It's it's in a way to be like, oh, you, you know that John Lennon wouldn't, you know, bend over backwards for a record company or start a, you know, clothing line or, or yeah, whatever it might be. This this line, you, you called this line out when we were doing our prep for the thing. So I'm, I'm mentioning now because the clothing line really ties in well here. So this is a line in the middle of the song here where he says, everyone we used to know must have given up so long ago. You can see it. It's written on their faces and the inside of their clothes. I feel like otherwise you would say you can see it like, in their clothes, like the clothes that they wear. Yeah. I feel like the inside of their clothes implies like label with, with my name, name on it. it. Yeah. And yeah, I, I feel like that's a totally calling the out. New the new George Michael line <laughs> available now at Target. Yeah, I feel like it's totally calling out <laughs> yeah. that kind of like selling out and caring about things other than the music. Right. I, uh, I was in New York City recently and I was walking around the downtown area and I saw this huge, huge billboard of Billie Eilish who's this new young singer of uh, uh, young girl who's singing like, you know, pop songs. And it was her in a Calvin Klein ad and Billie Eilish, I think is only 19 years old or 18 years old. She's very young. And you know, she's only been around. She's only been like a pop star for, I would say the past year two max. So the idea that this girl has gone from nobody to pop star to Calvin Klein model so quickly is it just blew my mind. It's like, you know, I don't know. Just imagine like, like Michael Jackson, like laying out in a Calvin Klein. It's just like, what, what are you talking about? Like, like, yeah, later on in his career, Michael did a bunch of sellout stuff and he, you know, he did like, you know, all these promotional things that he did with all these tie-ins of products or whatever. But at the same time, like, that's not how he started. He started by being like Michael Jackson and doing music and whatever. And I don't know, it was just really off-putting to see like this huge ad. And I feel like once again, like if George Michael were alive and you were walking through New York and he saw Billie Eilish in a Calvin Klein ad, he'd be like, what are you doing, girl? <laughs> like, you know? Yeah, and you you get a sense of that where he says the 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 friend who's woken up who says, um, "Hey, all the girls they look the same. Don't they know just what their mothers paid in blood and tears to change?" Where I you you could probably relate that to you know feminist movement, you know women's rights movement, um, stuff like that. But I feel like again, it's kind of noting people have been trailblazers and kind of shown you the way. And I think probably to some extent, George Michael must feel at least a little bit. Like, I'm, I'm not sure where I still stand in the the in music industry and as, as a pop star anymore. But I feel like people should look at me and, and come away with some lessons, maybe, at least. I, I feel like he doesn't really want to tell you what those lessons are. But I think 
to some extent, he has to feel like I've tried to, you know, be a, tra a trailblazer in some ways and be respected as a songwriter. And I, I feel like this, this little passage kind of references, there are other people who have like gone out there and you know, taken the hits, you know, from, from critics and commercially, and you don't have to anymore. Like you can, you can do this now. And I feel like a lot of us in, in terms of being an artist and commit to your music and, and have people listen to you and take you seriously. And I think he's a little bit like, why aren't more people doing this now? Why are more people like turn around and doing the Calvin Klein ad and, and doing these things? And I, I think you get a sense of just sort of the confusion or, or frustration. It, and, it's, and it's a lot of the, things. Yeah. I, I guess sort of just the, let me, let me just reference the song again. So the friend who, who wakes up from the coma, he called me up. He called me up and said, I've been awake about a week. I'm thinking about asking the doctor if he could put me back to sleep. I think it's that kind of like waking up, looking around, realizing, oh, this is the world we're still in. And maybe I haven't had any kind of impact and nothing's really changed. And how should I feel about that? I mean, you have to, to think about this. George Michael is putting out this album in 2004. His first record came out in 1987. And to look around and realize things are still the same when he's been someone who's kind of fought against like, no, you don't have to appear in your music videos. You don't have to do all these photo shoots. You don't have to come out with an album every two years. You don't have to bow to record company pressure. You can be who you want to be. And I struggle with that obviously throughout my whole career. And you know, it, when you listen to interviews with him and um, he also had a hand in making a documentary about his life that came out not too long ago. You know, he's pretty forward with how he lived his life and went about his career. And I feel like to, to look around and realize, you know, people are the, the, the record industry and, and pop stardom is still the same cycle, I guess, if that makes any kind of any kind of sense. Yeah. And you would think that because he was so successful, I mean, I mean, for those of you listening who don't understand this, George Michael is one of the best selling recording artists of all time. Like, I mean, I don't know what, wh where he ranks on the list, but he's probably in the top 50 of, of all time. So, I mean, when you talk about George Michael, you, you would use him in the same sentences that you would use these, these people that we're talking about, the John Lennon's, the Elvis Presley's, the Michael Jackson's, these huge, huge recording artists that have sold millions and millions of records. That's him. Like he's so big, like here in the United States, I feel like, you know, you mentioned earlier his, that his, his star is kind of waning. his yeah, star yeah. is kind of wane, but you know, in the, in his native United Kingdom and, and elsewhere throughout the world, this guy is, is still even 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 after his death, he's still just enormous. And I, I don't know if you go to like it, just go to a YouTube video and find a, a, a song by George Michael, uh, you know, and and just go to the comments and scroll through, and all you'll see is people talking about how beautiful he was and how amazing he was and how talented and how the song is so amazing. And a huge philanthropist, yeah, like and, Gabe, he, and Gabe, how how yeah. he was such a good person and all this like. And then you go and look at some other pop artists and you'll see like people be like, oh, you know, this song is so dated or this is so much, you know, this song is silly or whatever. But, you know, the love and, and admiration that George Michael gets around the world is, is, is pretty unparalleled. So you would think that younger artists, newer artists would look at that and be like, I want to be like this guy. 
I want to do the right thing. I want to have my integrity. I want to fight the labels. I want to, I want the industry to work for me rather than me work for the industry. I want to set that example. I want to be a, I want to be a good role model for, for other artists and people in general. That's what I want to do. I want to be more like this guy. And, and they don't like, I mean, there are some, but a lot of people are much more like, I want to be like Billie Eilish. You know, I want to write my songs in my room and become huge overnight and then do Calvin Klein ads and make lots of money. Like that's what I want. And that's, you know, that's yeah, and, <laughs> and in the song, he says, like, you know, that change is possible. He says, uh, youth, beautiful youth. We walked through the walls until we found the truth and said, change it. It's ugly. Just change it. And he kind of just tried to do that where he's just like, I think things should be this way. And this is how I'm going to go about my career. And using, you know, people like John Lennon and Marvin Gaye and Elvis Presley as reference points for, you know, people who were you know, those, those trailblazers that handled their careers, how they wanted to, maybe not so much Elvis, but, (laughs) (laughs) but you know, but that kind of just, you know, icon of when you, you know, think of Elvis, you're just like changed this person who just, yeah, changed everything. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I'm really glad that you selected this song as, as, as the George Michael representation, because like you mentioned, this was his final single off of his final record. And one of the final, one of the final songs to, to come out from him that was like, you know, all original material, whatever. And this is a song that kind of encapsulates his, his opinion on his whole career and kind of encapsulates his, 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 uh, interpretation of what the music industry is like. Like this is a, this is a, this is a very touching and, and interesting song to kind of cap off his, his whole entire career. So I think that if you, are kind of a George Michael fan. Like, you know, faith, you know, uh, you know, some of the bigger hits that he's had throughout his career and all that stuff. And, but you probably don't know this one. You should give this a listen for sure. From beginning to end, it kind of gives you a really good perspective on like the previous stuff. And I also really want to mention something about the song. There's kind of a great parallel here in a book by John Berger called ways of seeing, which if you're an art student, you've probably heard of or, or have read, there was a book and a BBC series on it. Both came out in the early seventies. In the book, there's an image of a Van Gogh painting, wheat field with crows. You look at it, and then the book tells you, this is the last picture Van Gogh painted before he killed himself. Scholars have determined it wasn't actually the last painting, but that's besides the point here. (laughs) But your perception of the song will change when I tell you George Michael wrote John and Elvis Are Dead on the piano that John Lennon wrote Imagine on. According to the story, as near as I can determine, Michael bid on an upright piano that Lennon wrote Imagine on, for close to $2 million in 2000. At the time, nobody knew who bought the piano. He basically bought it, he said, because he wanted the piano to stay in Britain. And he also said that he donated it after he wrote a song on it. And John and Elvis Are Dead is that song. He basically feared the piano would end up in the hands of a private collector and people wouldn't get to see it. And it's since been featured in numerous exhibits places so people can get a chance to see it. And I think the plan is for it to stay in a Beatles museum in Liverpool. So that's so really just, cool. just kind of, yeah, just kind of a, I, I think something that, again, if you listen to the song, kind of knowing that adds even more meaning and, and poignancy to this track. Yeah. So this is literally a song that he invested $2 million into of his own money just to create just that, that's, you know, that's, that's integrity. Uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> so long ago, you can see it. It's written on their faces and the inside of their clothes, but the world. 
stuff about George Michael when I was growing up. I remember first seeing the Faith video. I remember first seeing that that jacket, that, you know, the, the leather jacket that you mentioned got burned up in the Freedom 90 video. I remember, you know, just thinking he was just so cool. Like he was the coolest guy ever. Just, you know, looking at him, you know, he's surrounded by women and he's just, you know, dancing and he's got these cool moves, he's got the sunglasses on and, you know, the perfect haircut and it, just, just cool. Like, wow, this guy's really cool. And the music was good. I was like, oh, this is a good song. You know, it's really catchy and fun and whatever. Uh, but it was when he was forced to come out in, in 98 when, when he was arrested after public lewdness, that was... A very interesting time because it was such a, it was such big news and it was, it just overshadowed everything. And I feel like it still overshadows everything in a lot of ways. I feel like there's, there's, there's a lot of people my age, maybe a little older that when you mention George Michael, the name, they don't think about faith. They don't think about careless whisper. They don't think about wham. They don't think about, you know, all these, these important things, freedom 90. They don't think about all of his charitable contributions to the world. They don't think about all that. All they think about is that he's gay and he was arrested by doing gay stuff in a bathroom somewhere. Like that's all they think about. And it's really upsetting to have this entire career just boiled down to this one moment of his life. And I remember like when this happened, I, so it was 98. So I was 15, you know, right around that time where I'm starting to learn about like what sexuality means and like how there are lots of different types of sexuality, different types of relationships out there. And, you know, determining my own sexuality, like kind of like thinking about like, oh, well, you know, like there are gay people out there. There are men who like men, like, do I like men? I don't know. I don't think so, but maybe I do. I don't, all these questions that come up in your head as you're growing up like that. And then to have this like huge recording artist go through this, this stuff, it was, I remember distinctly it just being so huge and such big news and being so disappointed by it because I didn't understand what the big deal was. I was like, okay, yeah, like he shouldn't have been doing what he was doing. Like, you know, I don't know if you need to be arrested because he was doing what he was doing, but yeah, like, don't do that stuff in the public restroom. Yeah. Like, just, just, you know, you don't, you don't need to do that. Whatever. Like, I get it. Like, whatever. But at the same time, it wasn't that. It wasn't, you know, it it was much more like the Pee Wee Herman thing. Mm. It was like, oh, Pee Wee Herman was arrested for masturbating in an adult theater. It's like, okay, he's in an adult theater. Like, what do you expect? Like, it was much more, I think, the, the idea that when the Pee Wee Herman thing happened, it was much more of like, oh, this is an iconic children's person. Like, this is a person who we associate with a children's television show. Now, we're mentally associating with him masturbating in a, in a porno theater. And yeah, so I get why people were upset by it. But still, to this day, I feel like when you mention the word George Michael to people, that's what they think of. They think of just like, you know, this like indecent homosexual act. And it's like, that's, that's so demeaning. You know, yeah, and 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 other stereotypes of that because uh, when he died on Christmas, I was at a family Christmas and saw the news on my phone, and I was like, "Oh man, like George Michael died," and one of my relatives was just like, "Oh, did he die of AIDS?" And it's just you know that that stereotypical like that's that's what I think of when 
I hear the name George Michael is just like, oh yeah, that gay guy, he probably, you know, had AIDS. <laughs> it's, you know, it's, it's really upsetting. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I hope, you know, through this podcast, you know. Yeah. It, hopefully it, people it are listening kinda, to this yeah. and are like, oh, like, you know, there was a lot more going on here. This guy was extremely intelligent, you know, and we, we haven't really touched that. We keep saying the word philanthropy and whatever, but you know, uh, you, you did mention yeah. that he, he didn't, he, when he, he didn't want to release singles anymore. He just wanted people to donate to charity. And, and all these stories came out basically after his death of how much money he basically just anonymously donated. Cause he didn't want, you didn't even want people to know. What, right. He wasn't like, like oh, I'm going to donate a million dollars. Yeah. To I think charity. it was some, yeah, I think it was Whatever. Uh, some hospital, maybe a children's hospital that he basically donated like millions and millions of dollars to. And no one had any idea while he was alive that that's, something he was doing. Yeah. He made no publicity about it. It wasn't like, Oh, look at me. I have a lot of money and, and I'm a really nice guy. You should respect me. And all. no, he's just doing it privately. He's just like, I have lots of money. And I want to give it away. I, I you know, and, and, and the, I don't remember the exact quote that I read, but when they, I remember reading about when he says the, when they ask him like what he's planning and doing on, 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 with these, you know, by not selling his music anymore and asking people to donate to charity. He's, I, I don't remember what you said, but he was like, I've already taken enough money from the public. The public has already given me enough money. I'm doing okay. I don't need more money. I want the public to give money to other people that do need it. And like, that's just like awesome. You know, like just, you know, that's what I want to do. And, and, Nope. All anybody thinks about is him doing, doing gay stuff in a bathroom. And it's just, that's really disappointing to me. So it's like, whenever I listen to George Michael, especially when I listen to some of the, you know, some of the greats, you know, some of the, some of his biggest songs that, you know, we've already talked about or whatever. But when I listen to those songs, I'm like, Oh my God, this, this music is so good. This guy has such passion, such soul for what he's doing. And it, it's a shame that I, you know, I, I tell people, I'm like, oh, George Michael. And they're like, you know, like yeah. you make like a face. And it's like, no, oh, no, 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 no. You know, like it gets, it gets really upsetting. So I guess when we were, when we were writing up this episode and, and I was doing my research and listening to the music and, and stuff, I, I really was, was thinking like what you just mentioned of being like, hopefully people will listen to this podcast and give him another shot and think about other things besides, you know, him being pushed out into the spotlight for, for, for his sexuality. So I've been a George Michael fan for a really long time, and I went on a school trip to Europe in the summer between my junior and senior year, and one of the things that was on like my bucket list was I need to find myself a copy of George Michael's older album, because <laughs> it, it had sold so terribly here, you couldn't like find it in the US, and I was like, I know it's over there because he's big over there, and I'm going to be able to, to get it. <laughs> Um, so, you know, so, so that's, that's, that's my priority. I've, I've, I've known you for such a long time. We've been friends for so long. And like, this is like, so this is, this is exactly yeah. you. Like no, no one would the, be surprised no one, to hear no this. One, no one would be surprised to hear this. If, you know, yeah. It's like, oh, I'm going to Europe. It's like, oh, people will be like, oh, you're going to see so many great things. You're going to be like, well, I'm going to get this George Michael record. <laughs> so one strong association I have when I listen to George Michael and especially when I, uh, listen to listen without prejudice. Uh, was this girl I had a major crush on in high school. Uh, we were friends and had like the same circle of friends. We didn't go to the same high school. And we really connected over like listening to George Michael because we really just liked some of this pop stuff that I feel like a lot of people would just sort of like brush aside or not take seriously. Me being me, I think I, I, I mistook like some of these connections for a, a romantic thing. But I, I, I think we were, you know, both kind of introspective people and, and sensitive to certain things, especially, you know, music. And so when I throw on George Michael, I, I always think of that. 
especially when I hear the song Heal the Pain, because it's one of those like, I care about you and you've been hurt by past relationships. And if you'd only get with me, I'll, I'll, I'll show you like, <laughs> it's so, it's so, so naive and so comical to me now. Um, but you know, I, I, I think when I listen to George Michael too, and you can really hear this in, in the records, especially when you start with faith, uh, just how much George Michael changes, like how much he does grow up. Where every album, I feel like you think of Madonna or David Bowie, where the the musical changes that happen and and the style that happens, and I feel like if you listen to George Michael's lyrics, you can, and the musical stylings, which are are different for every record. But when you really listen to lyrics, you're listening to someone who's like really growing up, and their perspective on the world is changing, and so much is happening to them. Like you know, the the a lot of older is you know grieving. Uh, for the death of his lover. And I, I feel like you, when you listen to these records, you you can relate to them, especially if you like listen to them in order how much life has changed for him in, in such a short amount of time and him kind of struggling with that. So I feel like there's a lot that's relatable to on, on these albums. And I feel like I kind of like connect to that where, you know, whatever it might be, whether it's some, you know, hopeless romantic longing type of song or whether it's, you know, uh, you know, someone close to me has died and I'm struggling to deal with that. You can kind of put these records on and, and hear him dealing with that and at different moments in his life uh, where I feel like despite being this, you, you think being uh, uh, the, the huge pop star that he was would put him really out of touch with the kind of just everyday things that you and I go through. But I feel like he, if, if you listen to these songs, you, they're, they're instantly relatable and you can put yourself in that mindset. And also I think it's interesting to listen back to them, not that they feel dated, but you know, some of the views and, and things that are on a record like faith are very, very different from his take on things with something like Patience. And I think it's cool to just, you know, if you listen to those like two albums back to back, you can be like, wow, this guy has like grown up a lot and seen a lot and his perspective has changed. And I think that's why I always find myself coming back to uh, John and Elvis are dead because that's really what he's trying to get at, those profound changes that we all deal with and how casually we might act about you know things that happen to us but as we're kind of get as as we get older i think we get more reflective and we kind of can put in better perspective like how things have affected us over over like the long term thank you for listening to this episode of skipped on shuffle please visit our website at www.skippedonshuffle.com for more news about other episodes and our upcoming schedule. We are also on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Please visit skippedonshuffle.com for links to all of our social media pages.